If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash themurderinmyfamily. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. Before we get started, please allow me a moment to share some important information with you. If you find that you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts so that the show can continue to grow and reach new listeners. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderinmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at murderinmyfam or by searching for the Murder in My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support this show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated, and you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the Murder in My Family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad-free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout outs to any new supporters. In this episode, I'd like to thank Starless Sims and Acid Man, and thank you to all the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. Last but not least, just a reminder that we're coming up on CrimeCon in a few months in New Orleans. I'll see you on Podcast Row. If you'd like to purchase badges to go, please visit CrimeCon.com at checkout, enter my promo code, which is Criminology19, and that will save you 10% off your standard badge purchase. Thank you, and now on with the show. A warning up front about today's episode. Today we're talking about the neglect and death of a two-year-old child at the hands of her parents as well as the brief mention of animal cruelty. Whenever I cover the case of a small child, I feel compelled to give this warning at the beginning of the episode, because I know there are some listeners who just can't bring themselves to listen, and I certainly don't blame them. It's personally hard for me to cover cases dealing with children. At the same time, as a parent myself, I know there's nothing more important in this world than our children, and to not discuss the cases involving children is to pretend that those children didn't exist. They did. They were real people who shouldn't be forgotten. And so I press on despite how hard it may be personally to tell their stories and discuss their cases. And today's episode deals with one more of those cases. At 9.21pm on January 11, 2018, in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, EMTs were called to a home to help an unresponsive child. The child's grandmother... Haley Lamry told the 911 dispatcher, I think my granddaughter died. When EMTs and police arrived on the scene, 
they found two-year-old Gabriella Lamry motionless and unresponsive, but still alive and struggling to breathe. She appeared to have injuries to her head and neck areas. The little girl was airlifted to a Las Vegas hospital for emergency medical care, and she arrived at the hospital in critical condition. Hospital staff found that the young girl had suffered multiple brain contusions, bruises on her face and head, and signs of intestinal trauma and bleeding in her brain. Gabriella was also suffering from severe malnutrition, which caused her to be about half the size of an average two-year-old. Her rib cage was showing through her skin. There was no doubt in the minds of the doctors working to save Gabriella's life that her condition was the result of a criminal act. They told police that even if the child survived, she wouldn't be able to lead a normal life. That evening, police questioned Gabriella's father, 22-year-old Andrew Lamory. Lamory stated that he had put his two-year-old daughter into the closet as a form of a timeout, while he went to the kitchen and sat down to eat a steak. After not hearing his daughter making noise, he went to check on her in the closet and found her unresponsive. Andrew Lamory was arrested on felony charges of child abuse, child neglect, aggravated assault against a minor, and possession of marijuana. He was later cited on charges of animal cruelty in connection to an injured dog allegedly located in his home with a broken leg. Police questioned Gabriella's mother, 25-year-old Brittany Rodriguez. She stated that there was physical abuse in her home by Andrew Lamory against her daughter as well as herself. According to statements allegedly given to police, Rodriguez said Lamory would often punish Gabriella by spanking her on the head with his open hand. She allegedly told detectives she should have done more to protect her daughter. And as a side note, that's absolutely correct. She should have. Police didn't immediately arrest Brittany Rodriguez. The Arizona Department of Child Safety was notified and began investigating Gabriella's case. They had no records of ever having investigated Gabriella's home or family before. Doctors worked around the clock to save little Gabriella. But despite their best efforts, they couldn't help her. She was removed from life support and died on January 14th, three days after being brought to the hospital. Police immediately arrested Brittany Rodriguez and charged her with first-degree murder. Gabriella's father, Andrew, who was already in custody, had first-degree murder added to his list of charges. The authorities removed their oldest child from the home that they shared with Andrew Lamory's mom, Haley Lamory. Both of Gabriella's parents were offered a plea agreement by the Mojave County Attorney's Office, under which they would each plead guilty to charges of second-degree murder and accept a 25-year sentence without the possibility of early release. Andrew Lamory considered accepting the agreement, but decided not to, ultimately opting to go to trial. A battle began to brew over whether malnutrition or the head and neck injuries allegedly caused by Andrew Lamory ultimately caused Gabriella's death. While severe malnutrition was ruled as a significant addition in Gabriella's posthumous medical examination, the Clark County Coroner's Office ruled that the primary cause of her death was blunt force head and neck trauma. This may affect trials and punishment, specifically as it relates to Brittany Rodriguez. The head and neck injuries suffered by Gabriella were allegedly caused by Andrew Lamer himself. There's no word if the county DA will reduce or drop charges against Brittany Rodriguez. Her trial is scheduled to take place in November 2019. She remains in custody at Mojave County Jail on $250,000 bond. 
Andrew Lamory is also awaiting trial. Gabriella's grandmother, Hallie Lamory, who called 911 and whose house Gabriella and her parents lived in, has not been charged with any crimes. What's so scary about Gabrielle's story is that she wasn't killed by a stranger or some random monster. She was killed by family, at the hands of her father and possibly her mother, the very people most responsible for keeping their children safe. It's incredibly sad to see that she apparently suffered going hungry and shedding weight for who knows how long. The end of her life spent in a dark closet while her father enjoyed a steak dinner. If this case makes you angry and sad, you're definitely not alone. This little girl was failed by adults in her home. The aftermath of her death has put members of her family at odds with each other and left them searching for answers and asking why little Gabriella had to die the way she did. Gabriella's aunt, Brittany, joined me to discuss this sad and difficult case. That conversation is next. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you have something that's interfering with your happiness or standing in the way of attaining your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can conveniently connect with your own professional counselor in the safety and privacy of an online environment. And how you connect is up to you. You can choose to schedule secure video or phone sessions and also chat and text with your therapist. Everything you share is confidential. And licensed professional counselors can help you with issues ranging from stress and depression to self-esteem and anger issues. One thing that jumped out to me was that they also help with grief issues. And let's face it, on this podcast, we deal with a lot of sad and heavy cases and grieving family members. And better help is ideal for those difficult situations. If you're not happy with your therapist for any reason, you can request a new one for no additional charge. And financial aid is available for those who qualify. Best of all is that BetterHelp is a truly affordable option. The Murder in My Family listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code FAMILY. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com family and simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, go to BetterHelp.com family and enter code FAMILY at checkout. Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Thank you, Brittany, for joining me to discuss your niece Gabriella's case with us today. Hi. And I can't imagine how hard Gabriella's death has been on your family 
she didn't die at the hands of a stranger. She died at the hands of her parents, uh, allegedly, and their family members of yours. What kind of ordeal has that been for you all? It's been a nightmare, honestly. Um, the last year has been, it's been crazy. It's, it's been ridiculous. Give us a little bit, if you can, of, of how did this come about? What, what led up to this? You know, I honestly, I don't even know. Um, we were all kind of shocked, um, they were living, um, and when I say they, um, Brittany Rodriguez is my stepsister. Um, her boyfriend, which is the dad, they were living with his mom, which is grandma. Um, the three of them were living in Wyoming, um, and they packed up and moved to Arizona um, about a year before this happened, maybe a little longer. Um, and that was the last time we physically saw them. Um, and everything was good when we saw them. Um, she was happy, healthy. Um, that was the last time I saw her. I babysat her, um, that, uh, weekend that we got together and celebrated Christmas before they went. Um, and everything seemed normal. But when we got the phone call, we had no idea what to expect. And at first it was, it sounded like he had done it and that he was being, he, you know, he was abusing Brittany and that he had hurt her and he was arrested right away. So we immediately, you know, thought that. Um, but then after she passed in the hospital, they said, well, no, she died of malnutrition. We were like, wait a minute what's what's really going on here um and then that's when we started really looking at it and questioning well what what really was going on in the house and we still haven't really gotten that answer yet um but i don't i know she's unfortunately not innocent in it um and that's that's why i'm talking to you today is i want i want that to be known. Um, I think that her trial is coming up in November, their trial is coming up in November. Um, and it's just really sad that it's just come down to this and it's a, he said, she said, and they're really looking at the abuse case. Um, and it just wasn't there. And I look at little Gabrielle's pictures and I just can't fathom how her parents, the people that should have protected her were the ones that ultimately may have been responsible for her death. Was there anything personally going on in their lives that, that might've led to, to this, any kind of mental illness or drug abuse or anything along those lines? Uh, not, not, Again, not that I know of, um, you know, growing up with her, she's been in my life more than she hasn't been at this point. And, 
growing up, I always thought she would be the one that would be the most successful. Uh, she wanted to go to nursing school. She was working at a nursing home. She was a CNA. She was a caretaker. She, she was just a good person. And I just don't know where or what happened there. And as far as I know, there was no drugs at all. I've never known her, you know, there was no problems in her life at all with anything. Um, when this happened, um, police said that they found um, drug paraphernalia for marijuana, um, but that was it. And then when they tested everybody, that was all that they found was, um, you know, that's all they tested positive for was marijuana. Um, so could it be marijuana? I mean, I've never heard, you know, it's usually a lot harder drugs than that, but you know, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. And what is the official allegations from police? What happened? If you can walk us through that ordeal, what do they say happened over how long a period? They're saying that she had a br she had an injury. Um, they don't, you know, whether she she was put in a closet for a time out allegedly, um, and he was left alone in the room. And when they came back, they found her unconscious. They, you know, they said that there was a desk in that closet. So she was playing on the desk and fell and hit her head. If that's true, you know, then that answers the brain injury, but then there's the malnutrition. So I don't know, you know, what the police are really doing with the brain injury. Um, I know they are definitely, um, you know, going after both of them for child abuse, the malnourishment. Um, I know that they are going after them for the trauma. Um, I don't know how they're explaining it. I don't know how they're walking. You know, I don't know what their strategy there is. Um, but that's what they're saying happened, um, is that it was a death. But regardless if there was a desk or not, there's still the malnutrition. And they're saying that if she didn't have the brain injury, she was so, I mean, it was, it was so close to, well, did she die of the brain injury or did she die of the malnutrition? We don't know. You know, it was first this, now it's this. It was almost 50-50. So if she didn't have the brain injury, she, you know, she would have died of the malnutrition. It was pretty far advanced malnutrition. Yeah, she was. I believe half the size she was supposed to be at the time of her death. Half the size of a two-year-old. Now, was there anybody else in the picture as far as aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody that might have noticed this that was suspicious of this or brought that up to them? Um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because um, it's kind of a touchy subject with me. Um, there was a 
person that lived with him, um, like I said, it was uh, the grandma, um, the the boyfriend's, the dad's mom, Haley. Uh, she lived with them. And at first, they were talking about charging her um, along with them because she was also an adult that was in the house. Um, but she said that because she was the only working adult in the house, she had to work 16, 17 hour days to provide for the family. So she honestly did not see them at all. They were in the room. They didn't see them. So she was not able to to notice that. And I guess she provided pay stubs to prove the hours worked and the DA decided not to pursue her. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that. I think that, you know, I mean, they were both grown adults. Maybe, she, you know, there was a lot of, if she wasn't, you know, if she maybe made them get jobs or if she. I guess some responsibility you know, in it maybe or. Yeah, or, you know, maybe, um, but I really feel like, I mean, you were in the house. How did you not know what was going on? And, and There had this, to have been some red flags. And this, again, was uh, which, this was a grandparent? This was, yeah, this is the grandparent. This was um, Andrew Lamore's mom, Haley Lamore, or Haley Lowe is her name. And typically, grandparents are all over their grandkids trying to see what they're up to and spending time with them and stuff. So it sounds, you know, I can't, not to be accusing of her, but most grandparents with two-year-olds, you know, speaking because I have kids myself, are all over their grandkids and, and would notice things like that. Yeah. Um, she said, you know, that she when she would be home that they would be in the room and the door would be closed or whatever. Um, or it would be late and she wouldn't be able to see them. Um, or she'd ask about them, you know, and Brit would just kind of say, Oh, you know, Hey, they're fine. So I'm a, I'm a little upset with the DA that, you know, they didn't pursue that a little more. I, I, I just, feel, I, I don't know you think that she should have had some kind of responsibility in, in the, in, in relation to it? Yes. I I feel, I feel like she was an adult. If she, you know, she was also an adult in the house with these other adults. She should have some responsibility with it. She should have known what was going on under her house. If she was paying the bills, she was paying their rent. She was paying their, their car payments. She should know, you know, what food was being bought. She should know who was eating it. She should know what was going on. And she should know if there was abuse and stuff going on. And being that she's a family member and, you know, Gabriella's parents were also involved, has this caused, like, a major rift within your entire family? Um, yeah, it's, it's been... It's been pretty crazy. Um, Gabriella has 
two siblings, um, an older one, and then Brittany was pregnant when she was arrested and had the baby in, uh, I'll just say she had the baby sometime after um, she was uh, arrested. I want to say it was May, but I can't remember for sure the month. Um, and my father and I, um, were fighting for custody for them. Um, Haley, the grandma who was living with them was also trying to fight for custody for them. Um, and then my dad had just divorced Brittany's mom and she was also fighting for them. Um, one of them was living with an uncle of the dad and one of the, and the, the newborn was in foster care. Uh, when she was born, she had a lot of medical problems, um, and was needing a lot of medical care. So she was in a, uh, foster care that had a nurse kind of a thing. Um, so there was like four or five people fighting for these kids. Um, and it got pretty ugly and it ended up that the kids got separated and I don't think they're going to know that each other exists and it's pretty sad. And it's, and there's all kinds of rifts that happen within families that cause friction and cause people to stop communicating, but I can only imagine what something like this would do to a family. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty crazy. And I've tried to, I've tried to been, I've tried to be nice. And, you know, I talk to Haley, I talk to her mom. Um, I try to be nice just to, you know, figure out information. Um, I live in Colorado and they're in Arizona, so I can't get down there for every trial um, or for every court hearing. Um, so I kind of rely on that to get that information. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a strained relationship. Um, my dad doesn't talk to his ex-wife. Uh, we, I haven't heard from um, my stepsister. I've actually talked to Andrew once um, on the phone, um, but it's 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 crazy how it's just one one event, one night a year ago has just completely torn a family apart. And who does currently have custody of the other children at this time? Um, so the older sibling went to uh, Andrew's uncle, who's had her. Um, the adoption was finalized with him. And the uh, foster nurse that was taking care of um, the baby um, won her, uh, she was also fighting for her and the courts decided to, um, 
keep her out of the family and sided with the foster family. And I know when they were investigating Gabriella's case, they also came across evidence of animal abuse or neglect in this case. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? I don't really know about that. I tried to get information on that, and Haley told me that, that the cops are dismissing that, that they decided that that wasn't, that that wasn't a, a legitimate thing, that the dog was just old or something. But again, I'm, that was information from her. Um, I imagine we will find out more in the trial in November. Um, if they are going to keep the charges of animal abuse, um, I'm sure they will have evidence of that there. Um, so I will probably know more in November, but as of now, I don't, I don't know that information. Well, when I was researching this case, I came across a sign that read, there's a special place in hell for people that hurt children and animals. And I know a lot of people are firm believers in that. That's, on this show, we talk about a lot of difficult cases, but especially when, when they're children or there's animals related, people really seem to take uh, offense to that. And it's it's tough to cover these kinds of cases because it's it's such a, a delicate subject. It is. And, um, you know, I... I I love animals. Animals are, you know, I have three of them. I, animals are, are what I do. Um, and I don't have children of my own. Um, I, you know, my nieces are, I kind of rely on them for my kind of children, um, thing. And this has just torn me apart. And, and that's, you know, after, after I lost Gabriella, that's when I said, you know, I want justice for her and I want, I want, I want this to mean something. I want, I want her death to change something. So I'm trying to do anything and everything I can, whether it's for animals or for domestic violence, um, especially domestic violence against children. I'm trying to get really active in missing children's anything I can do to honor her because it is just so heartbreaking. She had her whole life ahead of her and she was just so precious and it, it was not deserving at all. Are you also tired of one size fits all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. 
Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And it's always it's always good to see people get involved in those kind of causes because we need that. It's it's evident that we hear on the news every day. There's so much stuff that happens that the more people that are out there doing good things towards, you know, taking care of and preventing crimes against children and animals, it's, it makes the world a better place. Yeah, we need, we need more of it because it just seems like more and more you hear of these cases and it seems like they get worse and worse, and it's just so heartbreaking. And I know you can't judge a book by its cover or judge someone by their tattoos, but I, I just wanted to, you know, because people are listening to this, they can't see what Gabriella's father looks like, Andrew, but it, it's hard not to draw some conclusions about him based on tattoos that he has on his face. He's got the word hate tattooed. Uh, right there for everyone to see. What is his background or his story? Is there anything in his background or any warning signs that he could do something cruel or uh, malicious, especially to his own child? I don't, I don't know much about Andrew's background or his history or really his family. Um, I know they've been together for a long time. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just looking at pictures a couple of days ago and I came across the picture of when Gabriella was born and he did not have any tattoos that were visible on his face. So in between then and now has been a complete change. And I didn't really realize that until I was looking back at those pictures. Um, I guess maybe it's cause I just don't see them that often. Um, especially since they moved to Arizona. Um, but yeah, his, his face is, um, he gets judged really bad. Um, and his grandma said something about, um, he is a very caring person and he has a lot of emotions and he doesn't know how to, uh, how to show his emotions. So he wears them on his face like that. That's how she explained them to me. Um, so that's her take on it. I find it interesting that he has both of his girl's names tattooed on his face or, you know, neck area. Um, so I wonder, you know, when he looks in the mirror and he sees Gabriella's name, um, what that does to him daily. Whether it causes him pain or regret or anything like that. Yeah. Or, you know, if he has remorse or, um, you know, I, I hope, I hope he, you know, does for his sake and I hate to say it but I hope it eats him I hope he thinks about her every day 
Um, I know that he's had some tough days and I don't know if he's going to make it to the, the trial. Honestly, um, he's been on a couple of suicide watches and um, I know he's struggling. So maybe he does feel bad about it. I don't know. But that's between him and if he believes in God. Gabriella's mother, Brittany, was your half sister, was it? Stepsister. Stepsister. And were you cl- pretty close with her? We weren't really close, but she's been in my life, like I said, more than she hasn't been. Um, I was trying to think about that before you called because um, I figured you were going to ask. I can't recall exactly how many years they were married. I want to say it was like 14 years. I mean, I've known her since I was like 10, 11, I want to say. Um, and I'm older than her. So I've known her since she was like, I want to say eight. So I've, I've grown up with her. Um, you know, I've lived with her on and off. I lived with my mom for the most part, but we, we've spent plenty of time together. You know, I wouldn't say we were best friends, but out of, you know, all of this, you know, the, the family that came with my, my dad's second wife she was my favorite and like I said I always thought she would be the one that would do the best and succeed and I liked her and I never I never saw this coming at all and you know my name is Brittany and her name is Brittany um so it it was always I was big Brit she was little Brit so we kind of had that bond and so I'm really struggling with that too, because it's like, I kind of lost her in this. Did she ever confide to you anything after this happened about why it happened or what her feelings were? I have not talked to her since it happened. Um, I wrote her a letter, um, but the place that she is at does not allow letters. So um, I'm waiting for it, the trial to be done for, you know, and then I'll send that, but she, she hasn't really, she talked to her mom and she talked to my dad a couple of times and it was only about the kids. And it was because she wanted my dad to have the kids. So she talked to him about that, but she hasn't really, she's withdrawn a lot. She hasn't talked to, she hasn't really talked to anyone, but her mom, she refuses all visitors. Um, she's kind of shut herself out from at least everybody that I know. I thought about going up to try to see her, but I, I'm sure she wouldn't see me. So I haven't done that, but talking to my dad or any, and everything, she hasn't, she hasn't said anything. Um, she's still sticking with it was all abuse from him. And he abused Gabriella. And she's innocent. Oh, that's, and again, going back to how tough that must be on your family, that's a real something to, that would cause some very big friction in your family. So hopefully there's some kind of answers there that bring some kind of closure and hopefully somehow Gabriella gets justice that she deserves. And, and you mentioned court dates 
or coming up in November of 2019? Yes, as of right now, um, the state of Arizona is trying both of them together, um, even though they aren't like fighting it together. Um, they're trying both of them together. So their court date is the same date and it's in November um, of 2019. So far, um, I it might get pushed back. It's been kind of, you know, with the court systems, it's a circus. Um, but tentatively, it's for November. And do you know what kind of uh, sentencing or what kind of time they're facing in prison? What charges they're facing? Um, I, I believe they're both facing first degree murder and child abuse. And then he has a lot of other charges on him. And then the, um, unless they take it off the animal abuse and possession of marijuana and the paraphernalia and all that still on his record at the county jail. Um, but his mom said that they were taking all that off and it was just the murder charge and the um, child abuse charge. But that's not what it says on the court thing. So I don't know if it's if it's not just updated yet or, you know, I don't know. But um, they're both being charged for first degree murder and the child abuse for sure. And they were both offered plea plea deals and it would be 25 years and no parole, no chance of early, you know, release. Um, but they both denied that. Um, so I don't know what first degree murder charges can be in the state of Arizona. A, a first degree murder charge has to be pretty stiff, no matter what, however many years yeah. it ends up being, it seems like it would be a pretty stiff sentence. Yeah. My fear is that Brittany is going to either get off or get a, a lesser sentence because of the alleged abuse on her from him. That's my biggest fear. And you think she's as much to blame as him, essentially? A hundred percent. I mean, she... She's on record in a court or in a cop, in a police interview, they were asking about feeding her. And she said, well, we usually get up about 10 and, and we feed them about, you know, what we call brunch. And then we'll go back to bed and sleep until, you know, maybe two or three, maybe four and then we eat dinner about 10 or so. But Gabriella is a, a morning person. So she would eat breakfast. But she would be asleep by the time they ate dinner. So she was, you know, in that, in her own words, she was only feeding her, her daughter one meal a day. And, and typically, I know how my two-year-old is. They wake up pretty early and they want to eat right away and then they want to eat normal meals throughout the day like most people do. Exactly. Yeah. And after he was arrested, 
instead of going to the hospital that she was flown to, she was worried about him and stuck around there worrying about he was arrested. Her focus was on him and the arrest, not on Gabby. So to me, those two things alone say you're not innocent. (laughs) But that's just my take on it. I think the sad thing is there's no good outcome no matter what happens. No. Unfortunately, a very precious, innocent two-year-old girl lost her life and her siblings had been torn apart all because of this. And I don't think no matter what happens, you know, there is no fixing that. Let me ask you a tough question. At the end of the day, is there anybody to blame that might have failed Gabrielle? Was there any chances that you see to stop this, to have put an end to it before she died? Well, I think it was the three adults living in the house. You think that any one of them at any time could have brought Gabrielle to a doctor or... Uh, I mean, yeah, to- I mean... Yeah, there, there's, th- there's three adults in one household, and then there was a 17-year-old, too, that was there, that's his sister. So, I mean, there's, there's multiple people in a house, and a little two-year-old girl running around, well, maybe not running anymore, I don't know, but a little two-year-old girl that's half the weight that she should be, her rib cage is showing. I mean, how how is that? How do you not? There's red flags there. Somebody have ha, somebody had to have seen that and could have stopped that at any time. Do you know if it's just one question uh, related to, like, their circumstances? I don't know if they uh, if they had jobs or if they were – um, how their income was. Did they have any uh, problem with income or getting food or anything like that to to feed Gabrielle? Not that I know of. Um, I mean, the grandma, Haley, was saying that she was working 16, 17 hours a day to provide for the family. The cops, when they got there, thought that it was a drug house because of the nice cars that they had outside. And it, you know, uh, Haley said that she, um, was paying the, the leases on those for the, the car payments and they were nice vehicles. So, I mean, from the, the, the picture that's painted, it, it does not sound like they were hurting at all. I mean, in the news article that was first published and the first information that was let out was he was in, he was in, he was enjoying a steak dinner while she was in the closet in a timeout. Even if income was an issue, there's public assistance and WIC and different means that they could have 
taking care of Gabriella with with food and nourishment and stuff. So that's that wouldn't even be an excuse. Well, I mean, if if it was if it was that, she could have called me. She could have called my dad. She could have called her mom. She could have called anybody. You know, and if it was just the fact that they couldn't take care of the kid, you know, I would have taken her. My dad would have taken, you know, any one of us would have taken any one of those kids or both of those kids if we would have had to. I mean, they had options. They just didn't. There was no red flags. There was no, you know, hey, we need help. Um, You know, nothing. We rallied together to try to um, get, you know, the siblings after it happened. We would have rallied together to help them to save her if they would have just let us know. So they had options. There's things they could have done to help her if they didn't feel they could care for her. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, it's, it's never easy to talk about the death of children, and it's unbelievably sad that this little girl died allegedly at the hands of her parents. And I don't want to end this on that kind of note. I think instead, perhaps a better way to end it would be with, if you wouldn't mind maybe sharing some of your memories of little Gabriella. Can you tell us something that made her laugh or something that maybe, maybe made her happy that you remember? She was just always happy. I mean, I just, Every time she was over at the house, she, she I never heard her cry. She was always um, curious. She loved my dogs. Every time they, you know, I'd have her on the bed, she, um, she would be laying there, and my dog would jump up, and she would just giggle and look at him, and and she was she just loved him. She was just so happy and healthy at the time, and she was just so. I could tell she was just a very loving, caring person already. She really liked playing with her feet. I know when she got older, she really liked balloons, um, animals. She was just a really good, good person. And it's really sad that we lost her. I know nothing's going to bring her back, and that's been a, a source of pain for you and your family, but I hope that in November that she gets the justice she deserves and that helps your family have some kind of healing. And what's nice is, you know, I found a really nice grieving group called Ellie's way and they, they, it's just a really nice group. Um, It's a Facebook group that they're just really welcoming. And so they've been really helpful just my other family has been really helpful. Um, we just celebrated her first angel anniversary, uh, you know, the first year that she went to heaven just a couple of days ago. Um, and that was really beautiful. We really miss her, but I'm going to fight really hard to make sure that this doesn't happen to other kids in her honor. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. If you enjoy this episode, please introduce a friend to the podcast and invite them to listen. And before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody.